spirits are leaving the room. Thank you, worship team. Young people, we're just going to talk about superheroes and stuff here tonight. You go and do fun things. Go do your fun things and leave us to our superhero stories. Actually, I was thinking about this message and, and you know, I grew up in Miami, Florida in my younger years. And in, in those younger years, I liked Superman. Now, to be honest, I was not into comic books. So, you know, there was a Spider-Man and an Iron Man and all those other mans out there, but I was not aware of them. I was into Superman because I would watch Superman on TV. And it's, you know, the old black and white Superman that was in reruns even when I was a little kid. But I would watch Superman, and of course, like any six-year-old kid, I would get a towel, and I would tie it around, and I'd have my cape on, and I would climb. We had this huge mango tree in our backyard, and I would climb up in that mango tree, and I would, of course, fly. And, and you, could, you could hear the neighbors. They, they would look up into the sky and go, is it a bird? Is it a plane? It must be a plane, because little Billy Pevlor, he's just crumbled up on the ground in a mess, moaning, because I could not fly. As much as I wanted to, I could not fly. I did not have, you know, those supernatural powers. I, I was not faster than a speeding bullet. I was not stronger than a locomotive. I, was, I could not leap over tall buildings in a single bound. I could fall off them pretty easy, but, but I could not do that. And you know what? I, I learned pretty early on that I was not a superhero. And so I just recognized that I wouldn't even try those kinds of things. Now, I bring that up because we're going to talk about a superhero of faith tonight. And I know oftentimes when we talk about the great heroes of our faith, we think about them and we think, okay, they could do that, but I could never do that. It's like you're looking at Superman, and, and I, I'm, I'm not Superman. I can't fly. I can't jump over buildings in a single bound. And we look at the superheroes of our faith, and we can sometimes come to that conclusion, well, that, that, was, that was very cool. And, and we enjoy hearing those stories, but we think, well, that was Paul. You know, Paul, he was, he was super hero kind of guy. I can't, I can't ever live up to that. I can't do what Paul did. As Paul pressed on, you know, to claim the prize and all of that, Paul was just different. Well, Paul was different, but he's not any different as far as his capabilities or, or his potential than you are. These supernatural, what we would think are supernatural feats of faith are simply because they listen to God and they believed God. And when we start talking about this superhero of faith that I'm going to talk about tonight, I want you to remember this could have been you. And it could be you today. It's not like it's some unreachable, unbelievable uh, power that is not available to you. God has no person on this earth that he would not give his power and, and these abilities to if they'll just believe. 
In fact, we're talking about winning in 24. That's this message series. We want to be winners in 2024. And this message is, is part of that, that goal to help us understand that it can be possible. You do have everything. God has given us all that we need. Everything that is necessary for godliness and life, he has given to us. And that includes a measure of faith if we'll put that measure of faith to work. Amen? All right, so a uh, long little introduction there. Let's get into the, the passage that will kind of be our anchor for tonight in Joshua chapter 14, verse 7. Little Billy Pevlor will put his cape on and see if I can preach this message well. Joshua 14, 7 says for a shirt... No, that's not it. I've got a different scripture up there. I, I was... Forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. So these are the words of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. And he's certainly one of the great giants of faith that we have in the Old Testament. Caleb is a man that exemplifies Matthew 11, chapter 12, that says the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Caleb, I'm telling you, was a winner. He was a successful man. He lived a successful life. And, and, and the thing I like so much is that he, he lived a happy life. His life ended well. But you know what? Even all those good things that happened, he endured some delay. He endured disappointment. You know, if you really want to get to a place of success, you will likely have to endure some delay and disappointment. I know you don't like it, and I, and I hate it, but sometimes that's just the way it seems it must be. Caleb was a man that drove out giants and possessed his promised land. He was a man that succeeded where many, many others failed. He lived his dream. He had the best of all. And like I said, he, he had a very happy ending to his life. Now, Caleb's success was nothing short of supernatural. He had a successful life, not because he was talented, not because he was intelligent, not because he was fortunate or lucky, but there was a supernatural catalyst to his success, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight, and that's the same thing that you can implement in your life. So stick with me, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this evening, and I thank you for great heroes of our faith that we can look to as examples of what is possible when we believe. Lord, we want to believe to succeed, and I pray that you help me to preach this message in a way that will help people to see they can do these very same things. They can harness the power of your love and your grace and your mercy through faith. And Lord Jesus, as we study this life, Caleb, I pray, Lord God, that, that it inspires us to step up another level, that it inspires us to press on, as Paul called us to to, to, to go even further in this life, in our faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we're all kind of acquainted with the story, but I'm just going to kind of hit some of the highlights 
that will bring us to this particular passage that we're looking at. There were 600,000 men above the age of 20 of the seed of Abraham that came out of Egypt and was headed for the promised land. 600,000. And of that 600,000, now that's a lot of people, by the way. You know, that's way more than we have in in this area, in in the Green Bay metropolitan area. 600,000 of them, but only two made it into the promised land. Two succeeded. They were promised a land of milk and honey, but out of that 600,000, only two tasted the honey and drank some of the milk of that promised land. It was actually in the first year that God brought the Israelites to the border of the promised land. Just think about that. It was just in the first year. They were there. They were on the border. Moses selected 12 men, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, to spy out the land. They spied out that territory for 40 days and for 40 nights, and they discovered, in fact, that as Moses had prophesied, as he had predicted, this was indeed a land of abundant prosperity. Now, when they came back and they began to to give their reports, there were two competing conclusions. Ten of the twelve said, the land is just like you said, but there's also fortified cities and, and there's giants. And they began to explain why they were not able to possess the promised land. Two of those twelve, we know them, Joshua and Caleb, they had a different opinion. They had a different spirit, the Bible says. What did they have? They had the spirit of faith. They had a spirit of faith, and they said, we are well able to possess it. But the multitude of people, they were swayed by the opinion of the ten doubters. And right there, on the border of their promised land, they turned around and wandered around aimlessly in the desert for an entire generation. For 40 years, until all of those 600,000 men above the age of 20 had died, except for Joshua and Caleb. The next generation, that second generation, did cross over into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. And they were five years into their campaign to occupy and possess the major cities of that land when we come across the scriptures that we have just read. So think about this. At this point, Caleb's dream had been delayed 45 years. Now, it was when he was 40 that he had given them the report that we can take this land. So now he's 85 years old. That's quite a delay. After 45 years, Caleb did go on to possess his mountaintop inheritance in Hebron, and he lived his dream. Hallelujah. Now, how many of you have a dream? I talked about this last time. and In fact, it was part of my strategies for winning in 24. Number one was big dreams. You got to have a dream. How many of you do have a dream? Let me see. All right. And those who don't have a dream yet, you keep looking to God and he will put in your heart a dream, a purpose, a destiny for you to fulfill and live out in this life. Well, he had a dream and I want to share with you how Caleb 
achieved supernatural success to that dream and how he won when so many others had failed. And of course, the only reason I'm telling you all of this is because you too can do the same thing and you can win and you can succeed and you can fulfill your dream. I want all of us to win in 2024. I, I, I will give you scriptural evidence to verify exactly what I'm telling you tonight. You just need to lock in on what I'm saying and realize that it has potential to revolutionize your life. Now, the first thing you need to understand about supernatural success is that we will not have supernatural success by following the natural course and just doing what seems right. That's what the masses do. They don't live supernaturally successful lives. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. See, if we just do what seems right, what comes natural, you know, we're just thinking, our brain, well, this, this seems like the right thing to do. This seems like the best way to go. If that's all we do, we are destined for serious disappointment. In the end, our dreams are going to die, and then we will die unfulfilled. I mean, think about it. Out of those 600,000 men, the 599,998 of them did not see the promised land. They failed. You know, the day they left Egypt, they were all happy. They were all intending to, to succeed. None of them at all intended to fail, but they merely did what seemed to be right. And the key word there is seemed. It seemed right, but it only led to a grave in the desert. So if you don't want to die disappointed, you have to do more than what seems right. Back to our, our scripture in Joshua, chapter 14, verse 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And here's the key, here's the key. Pay attention, this last part. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. The key to Caleb's successful, supernatural dream coming true is found in that last part of the scripture. I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Now listen very carefully to what I'm going to say. Listen, listen, listen. Listening to the word, believing the word, speaking the word that is in our heart and not in our head is the secret to supernatural success. I'm going to kind of unwrap this for you. But I want you to understand that is the secret to Caleb's supernatural success. Joshua and Caleb had the same word and they saw the same things as the ten others who went to spy out the land. They all saw and heard the same thing, right? But 10 of them brought back a bad report. What was the difference? The 10 spies let their heads overrule what was in their heart. 
See, Caleb dared to speak what was in his heart. I guarantee you he had the same doubts in his mind as the rest of them. The great winners in life, those that accomplish and succeed and achieve in life, have all the same doubts in their head as everyone else. But they bring back the word that is in their heart. They speak the dream that is in their heart. And they don't get limited by all of the arguments that rise up in their head. If we want to win in 24 and if we want to experience supernatural success, we have to go with what's in our heart and not with what's in our head. Because the head is, is the realm of the natural. The, the heart is the realm of the supernatural. You have to get that. The head is the realm of the natural, but your heart is the realm of the supernatural. And of course, we're not talking about this little muscle that just beats inside our chest. We're talking about that inner part of you, the heart of man, the heart that, that the Bible refers to. The head is the realm of reason. And don't we in what the Western world like to flatter ourselves by being so intellectual and reasonable? I tell you, God makes no great promise to reason. I challenge you to search the 66 books of the Bible and find any passages where God makes promises to reasonable people. Jesus didn't say all things are possible to those who are smart. He didn't say all things are possible to those who can look at a difficult situation and logically conclude the most reasonable course of action. Jesus didn't say that, but that really is the way that most people think and the way that our Western culture is wired. You know, if you're smart enough, you can do anything. It's not that the mind isn't important. You know, I'm not trying to downplay the purpose and the role of intellect. I think what measure of matter that God has deposited in your, your brain bucket you should develop and you should use that thing. <laughs> a lot. It's a good thing. But I also understand that it has tremendous limitations. It has tremendous limitations. Now, when I say that your, your, your mind is probably offended just at the idea. What do you mean my mind is limited? I mean, my brain does that. It's like, what? What are you saying? I'm not, I can do anything. I can think of all stuff. But I'm telling you, if you're going to live life in the spirit there are times when you are just going to have to tell your mind to shut up and get over it Amen. it's just the way it works our minds are a computer type mechanism that god designed to serve us right but the dreams that god gives us belong to the realm of the heart god speaks to the heart too often our head is going to try and override the dream that God has put in our heart. Now we've all, or most of us at least, have said we have a dream. I hope that dream is not just in your head. I hope that dream is one that God has deposited in our heart. Our heart is bigger than our head. Our heart is bigger than our head. To enjoy the supernatural success, our heart needs to be stronger than our head as well. Psalm 119.32 says, 
I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. I want a large heart. I want a big, strong heart in this supernatural, spiritual sense. If our heart is too small and and too weak to contain and protect God's big dream, then we just end up dying in the desert of disappointment. Caleb and Joshua brought back the word that was in their heart. That is the key. They brought back the word that was in their heart. The other ten brought back the word that was in their head. Before we're too hard on the ten, I, I think we should at least give them a little bit of credit. I mean, think about it. In the moment, didn't they seem to do what was rational? <laughs> Honestly, I mean, they had three compelling points. I mean, the, this place is swarming with strong people. And, and this place has fortified cities. And throw in the mix, there's giants there. That's pretty compelling. Any reasonable person would have come to the same conclusion. I mean, it seemed right. It seemed reasonable. But it was based entirely on what they saw. Caleb then spoke up and he brought forth his three points. God is with us. God delights in us. God will give us the land. (laughs) A whole different standpoint. All of those points are based on faith. It's, it's faith, man. I mean, it's all faith. I don't know how, you, how you're going to function in this realm of the supernatural if you don't have faith. It's all faith. You can't see it, and you really you can't prove it. I mean, how do you know God is with us? How do you know that God delights in us? How do you know that God will give us the land? Well, I just know it. I just believe it. I'm sure Caleb wrestled with the same thoughts as the others. I mean, come on. He wasn't an idiot. <laughs> you know, he, he, he could see the giants as well. He saw the fortified cities. He saw the swarms of, of strong people that were there. But he brought back the word that was in his heart, not the word that was in his head. Remember, the ten doubters also started out with a dream in their heart, but they let their head overrule them. They let their their head talk them out of what they had heard God speak and what was promised to them. And when they listened to their head, it squashed the dream in their heart. Which brings us to a scripture that I, I shared with you last week, and I'm kind of covering a little bit of that territory from strategy number three. In fact, we're really, we're expanding that strategy number three from last week. Matthew 12, verse 35. It says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Now, what is a successful life? It's a life full of good things. Right? What, what will winning in 24 look like? It'll be a, a, a year of good things. 
a life of purpose, a life of prosperity, a life of joy, a life of freedom and health, a life of peace, all the good things from God that we believe for. But where do these good things come from? And see, here's a foundational mistake made by the masses. Everyone wants good things. But they believe those things are out there somewhere to be found. They're out there. So they are out there. They're they're looking for a good job. They're looking for a good husband or wife. They're looking for a good life. Like all those things are, are out there somewhere. Jesus said, a good man, and of course that implies that We've got to be born again and made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. He said that out of the good treasure of his heart, a good man brings forth good things. If 2024 being successful for us means that it's a life full of good things, where are those good things? These good things aren't out there somewhere to be hunted down. They are to be brought forth from what's within our heart. Now, how do you bring forth good things? How do you bring forth the good treasure that it's talking about here? By the way, the, the, the treasure of your heart is the Word of God. It is the most precious thing that you could have, more precious than gold. The most precious thing in our lives is His Word. That is, that is the dream that he's deposited in our heart. That's the purpose and the destiny that God has appointed for us and our life. That's the treasure. That is the treasure. It's a dream that exists in our heart, not in our head. And in fact, if it can exist in your head, it's not a big enough dream. And in fact, it's probably not even likely a dream from God, if it can exist in your head. I'm talking about the dream that God imparts into your heart. Remember, I said our heart is bigger than our head. Our heart doesn't have the natural limitations of our head. Thank God. The dream that God has given us, it exists in our heart and not in our head, but but now, of course, we need to bring it forth. Now we need to bring it forth. How do we do that? Well, the preceding verse tells us. If we go back to Matthew 12, 34, we just read from 35, Matthew 34, the last part of that verse says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and a good man, out of the good treasure in his heart, brings forth good things, and that's how we do it. We build the good treasure in our heart by receiving and believing the word that God has given us. And then we bring it forth by speaking what is in our heart. By speaking what is in our heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Hmm. That's exactly what Caleb did. That is exactly what Caleb did. And it is the secret to his supernatural success. Caleb said, I brought back word as it was in my heart. He didn't bring back the rational ideas that was in his head of, man, we need to run for our lives. These people are big, bad dudes. 
Get out of here. Save yourselves. That wasn't what he brought back. He brought back what was in his heart. That God was for them. That they could possess the land because God was on their side. God had promised that victory. He had all the same doubts that everyone else had in his head. The, the arguments that were arguing with his heart. But the difference was simple. Caleb decided to speak what was in his heart and not what was in his head. You know, most of my greatest faith victories have come while I still had lots of doubts in my head. <laughs> I mean, I've had many doubts in my head, probably as much as anyone else here, because I, I believe I believed for as much as anyone else here. I've had those doubts too. And even today, my head will, will kind of blow a gasket if, if it just starts to consider some of the dreams that I'm holding in my heart. It doesn't make sense to my head. That's why God put it in my heart. If we're prone to listening to our head, it will try to convince us of all the wrong things. In fact, if you listen to the voices in your head, the complaints in your head, the, the questions in your head, you'll begin to doubt if you're even saved. Has anybody here ever doubted their salvation? Is there anything more sure than the salvation that you have received from God and yet your head will go, gee, I don't know. You know, same thing, when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you begin to speaking in tongues, and before you know it, your head's trying to say, well, is that really God? Is that the Holy Spirit? Is that just you? Your head is going to try and talk you out of it. It's just the way the head works. I'm sorry, it's, it's just the way it is. The truth is, I believe our, our head is just not happy unless it's trying to get us to doubt something. And I tell you, your head will doubt everything. <laughs> your head will doubt God's faithfulness. Your head will doubt God's promises. Your head will doubt healing. Your head will doubt prosperity and, and God's dream for you. For any kind of supernatural success. Here's another important aspect. It is possible to believe in our heart while we are doubting in our head and receive from God what we're believing for. So just because you have a few doubts floating around up there, don't say, oh, well, game's over. I missed it. Let's take a look at another scripture in Mark chapter 11. Verse 23. I'm going to kind of wrap things up with this. Mark eleven twenty-three. 23. It says, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, we're, we're all familiar with this verse, but I want us to try and look at this with, with some new eyes based on what we've been hearing about in Caleb's life, how he held the word in his heart, right? He brought forth the word that was, that was in his heart, not what was in his head. Now, in my opinion, Mark eleven twenty three 23 is probably the single greatest verse in the Bible pertaining to supernatural success and, and the, the truth that, you know, that I think we can glean from this single verse is really going to give you a boost towards a life of supernatural success 
if you can grasp this. And, and I mean that in every area of your life, in, in 2024 and beyond. This is great stuff. So I, I want to kind of break this verse down by just asking seven questions. I've got seven questions about Mark 11:23, And you can leave it up there. Just leave it up there. Because we'll be going back and forth to it. The first thing I want to ask is, who's giving us this teaching? Now, my digital version of the Bible has that print in red. And that is my sign that this is Jesus speaking. If I did not want to go further behind, uh, you know, up the, the page to see who it was that said this. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus said this. And yet it's amazing how many people vehemently oppose faith teaching. You know, if anybody else said this, I guess you could argue with it, but Jesus is the one who said this. He said, if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and you don't doubt in your heart, but believe in those things that you say, it will be done. You'll have whatever it is. Now, do you believe it or not? Jesus said it. So I'm going to put a lot of stock into this, this verse. I'm going, to, I'm going to just decide I'm going to believe it. Sometimes my head will go, well, how can that be? That just doesn't make sense. But I'm putting that word in my heart. My heart can hold that word. My head has a trouble with it. But my heart is made for that kind of stuff. The heart that God has given me, the word that he has spoken. The second question about this verse. What is Jesus teaching us to do? I mean, he's teaching us how to get things done supernaturally. That's what he's teaching us. You don't move a mountain by talking to it unless you're operating in the realm of the supernatural. You can't do it. I mean, you know, you can try with bulldozers. That's in the natural realm, and you're not going to do it very well that way. So when he's talking about moving mountains, he's, he's teaching things that are supernatural. He's teaching us what will work in every area of our life. Third question. What does Jesus tell you to do about the mountain? What is he telling us to do about the mountain? Now, I think we all understand that the mountain is simply a metaphor for a problem. Right? Anybody here have a problem? You ever have a problem? So if you have a problem, and, you know, I kind of take it when he says a mountain... It's a big problem. So it's a big problem or a problem. What does he tell us to do? He tells us to speak to it. He says to talk to it, not to talk about it. And that's where we miss it a lot of times. We, we will talk all day long about our problem, but we fail to talk to the problem. We'll talk all the time about what's wrong, how, how things are so hard, instead of talking to the problem. All right, number four. These are real quick, and you're probably going to need to meditate on this and study it some more on your own. Number four, the fourth question. What are the two ever words in this verse? <laughs> A little play on words, so to speak. The two ever words. It's whoever and whatever. Whoever and whatever. And I tell you, it does not get any better than that. Whoever. He says, whoever says to this mountain, 
Are you a whoever? If you are a whoever, you qualify. You can do this. Whatever. What does he say that? Whatever. Whatever he says, he will have whatever he says. Whatever. Does that cover your situation? Whoever and whatever. I know people want to build all kinds of fences around this whatever. You know, whatever you... You know, well, you know, you just can't say it not, doesn't really apply to this or it doesn't ha- I'm just going to believe what it says. I, I'm just crazy enough in my heart. <laughs> my head's going, no, that's not the way it works either. But in my heart, I'm crazy enough to go, if he said whoever, that, that counts for me and everybody else I know who will believe. And, and if it says whatever, I'm not going to limit it to only the biggest, baddest things or only the things that fall into this certain doctrinal patch. I'm going to believe for whoever and whatever. Number five, how many times does the Lord Jesus use the word says? We're going to read through this again. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. I counted three. Now, the point I'm trying to get at here is in the realm of supernatural success, what you say is extremely important. And again, doesn't make sense to my brain. But it makes sense to my heart. It makes sense because Jesus said it. And I believe it. How many times does the Lord Jesus use the word believes? This is question number six. How many times does he use the word believes? Just once. Where he says, but believes that those things he says will be done. Believes, he uses one. Jesus uses the word says three times and uses the word believes once. I think instead of working so hard trying to believe, just start saying it. Start saying it. Say it from your heart. I call this mountain moved. Just begin to say it. I tell you, when our, when our head starts to argue... Right? We'll just say, well, that's what I call it. I call it removed. I don't care what you say, head. When our head and our heart, they're debating back and forth, you know, and they kind of get to that point where it's a deadlocked situation. Well, your mouth can cast the deciding vote. You can break the deadlock. Begin to speak it. Our mouth casts the deciding vote. What did Caleb say? I brought back word as it was in my heart. The heart has it. Come on. I spoke that word. The tie is broken. Our head is outvoted two to one. Got my heart, got my mouth working two to one against my head. My last point. Last question here. Where does Jesus say to believe? It's implied You read it here again. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his what? In his heart. Where is he believing? 
in his heart, not his head. It is, again, possible to doubt in our head while we are believing in our heart. Don't let doubt trip you up. Don't, I mean, we can't always control the thoughts that pass through our head. When that happens, just turn it around. Turn, turn it around on your, on your head. Doubt your doubts. Doubt your, when your head says, I don't think that will come to pass, just say, I doubt that. I doubt what you're saying. Well, I don't think God will. I doubt that. I think he will. I tell you, doubt is powerful. Doubting the right way can be a support to your faith. So use the power of doubt against doubt. <laughs> so let's, let's doubt our doubts and, and speak with our mouth the word of faith that's in our heart. Let's bring forth the good things that, that come from us from in our heart, from the word that God has placed there. If we do, these three things are going to happen. If we, if we bring forth that word that's in our heart, these three things will happen. Number one, our head's going to argue with us. Just write it down. It's going to happen. It will be there. Number two, doubters will criticize us. Oh, yeah, it's not just your head sometimes that you have to struggle with. There are doubters outside of you <laughs> that will maybe criticize you for having that kind of faith. And the third thing, we will have supernatural success and we will win big in 2024. It's possible. It is possible because you are a whoever. You are a whoever. Jesus has made your whatever possible. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray that you just pour a blessing on this time. Pour a blessing on our time of worship. That our hearts would, would just absorb more of what you have for us. That our hearts would be open for you to speak even more truth, Lord God. That we would hold it dearly in our heart. Lord, I, I desire more of you. I desire a greater understanding of your plan and purpose for how I am to operate, how you created me to, to, to live this life. And Lord, I know that others here join together with me in that pursuit to know you, to understand you and our place in your kingdom. Lord, help us to do that tonight and help us to understand the value and the power of the words that we speak when we speak what you have placed in our hearts. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We're going to worship some more. There's time for prayer tonight. There's, there's time for you to, to just settle in and, and let God speak to you right now. Hallelujah. Yeah!